You are listening to KC Sports Network, proudly presented by Emprise Bank. Coming up, the latest episode of Three Mall. Hello and welcome into another edition of Three Ma. I am John Kurtz, joined by my trusty compadres, Derek Young and Cole Manbeck here on the show. Uh, unfortunately, moving from a loss to some injuries, that's going to be a lot of the focus today. K-State is a very beat-up team, as we found out at Chris Kleiman's <laughs> press conference earlier this week as the Wildcats now head into conference opener with UCF under the lights of Bill Snyder Family Stadium. But being under the lights means one thing. It means you have all day to tailgate, which means you have all day to consume 365 vodka and Ben Holiday bottled in Bond Bourbon. So make sure you go support our friends at Holiday Distillery and get the hookup there. You have all sorts of drink options, all sorts of ways you can do this and uh, get lathered up before the game kicks off. And you're going to need a loud crowd to uh, help out a beleaguered Wildcat squad going into the game this Saturday. So 360 Vodka, Ben Holiday, Bottled and Von Bourbon, Holiday Distillery, great folks. They threw an awesome tailgate that we were able to attend before the Mizzou game. So go support them. They support us. Uh, guys, I mentioned, we talked about it a lot on Patreon, which, by the way, patreon.com slash 3maw. If you would like to pay five bucks a month to help out the show and get a ton of bonus content, like an almost hour-long bonus pod that we did last night, breaking down everything that we heard from the press conference yesterday. And breaking down all the nitty-gritty details of uh, our experience in Columbia. So if you'd like a little behind-the-scenes to what, uh, what we experienced in Columbia, Missouri on Saturday, uh, patreon.com slash 3 to do that. Great way to support the show and get a bunch of bonus content. We've got a Discord uh, where you may have found some of the information that came out of the press conference uh, right as it was happening and a little more detail there on the Discord. So uh, anyway, 3 on Patreon. Check it out. But... Injuries are the story, guys. Injuries are the story. I have to go headline number one. Uh, Daniel Green is out for the year. Will Howard is questionable, according to Chris Kleiman at the press conference. I think we would frame it like questionable at best. Uh, Treshawn Ward is doubtful. Didn't even realize that he got hurt in the game. Sounds like it was on that last drive. Uh, Jay Clifton still out until after the bye week. The one good bit of news is that Christian Duffy at right tackle is looking at 20 to 30 snaps this week, according to Chris Kleiman. So, I don't know. Uh, wherever you want to start with that, D.Y., but uh, I got most of the negativity and poutiness, I think, out of my system last night. So I'm in a – those of you that are only listening to this pod and not Patreon members, you're getting a little different version of me here. But I, I'm a little bit down in the dumps, I will admit, about uh, what this injury situation is and uh, what could be staring K-State in the face on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, I would frame it as you're going to be down one starter and perhaps two. Because we're not, you know, Daniel Green's out. You get Christian Duffy back. Treshawn Ward might not play, but, you know, he's probably a backup at this point. But, you know, a backup that is valuable, we'll put it that way, in terms of how he shares the ball with DJ Giddens in the backfield. Jay Clifton's a backup, but you, you might as well be a starter at this point if Daniel Green's out for the season. So I understand that angle as well. But at the end of the day, it is kind of the, the bumps and bruises that you endure throughout a football season. And I'm, and many of these guys, perhaps all but one, will be back for the Oklahoma State game after the bye week here in uh, a couple of weeks. So it's it's not a doomsday scenario, but you do have to find a way to scrap out a win um, in the short term when a lot of these guys could miss time. 
Um, I know a lot of the questions going to be about Will Howard. If he can't go, yes, I do think Avery Johnson will start in that scenario. Chris Kleiman even confirmed that. I will say if Will Howard was to go, he'd have to make a considerable amount of progress uh, between now and Saturday, and I'm not sure how truly realistic that is. I think D.Y. paints it in a, a voice of optimism, and I agree with much of what he said. I mean, the bottom line is here, you, you, you want to take the, the glass half full angle. This happened at a pretty good time, at least the best time that it could happen, assuming you can beat UCF, which is not going to be easy by any means. We all know that. But if you can win this game, you got the bye week to get guys healthy, and you could be coming off a bye week going into an Oklahoma State game and still water. That is a, a matchup that you feel pretty good about while getting Jake Clifton back getting Keegan Johnson healthier, getting Christian Duffy and the rust knocked off in this game and getting him back into shape uh, and getting him closer to 100% for that OSU game, getting Treshawn Ward back in all likelihood, getting Will Howard back. And then at the end of the day, you're down Daniel Green for the season, but you get everybody else back, hopefully. That would be the goal, and that's what makes you feel a little bit optimistic about this. Again, assuming the big if, that you can beat a very talented UCF team coming to Manhattan this weekend. I mean, I I'm gutted for Daniel Green, just absolutely hate what happened. I mean, we talked to him at Big 12 Media Day, and he talked about, you know, one, it didn't feel like he had the year that he was capable of last year because he was so beat up with multiple injuries, missed 10 weeks of practice, and wanted to come back into a Big 12 championship. And you hate that he really hasn't been healthy this whole season either. Got dinged up in fall camp, was playing through injuries, and then suffers the torn pectoral shows what a warrior he is to play with one arm out there. Most guys don't go back in that game with that type of energy injury, and he finishes it leading the team with tackles and tackles for loss. Uh, what a way for him if that's the end, which it probably is, for him to go out in his career. So that hurts. I mean, you're going to be down to a true freshman linebacker in Austin Romaine until you get Jay Clifton back. He's going to have to step up, and like D.Y. said, nothing new here. I mean, I, I would be a bit surprised if Will Howard plays in this game, but we don't anticipate it being anything that's more than a one-game scenario if he does miss it. I could see him being in uniform as an emergency quarterback available against UCF, but I think we're going to see the first true freshman for Kansas State start at quarterback since I believe Josh Freeman. John, correct me if I'm wrong on that, but I I would believe that Avery Johnson will get the start at quarterback, and uh, it's time to see what the young man can do with the full playbook, and I, I am excited to see that. Yeah, yeah, and I will echo those sentiments on Daniel Green as well. First of all, I don't want that to get lost in the shovel here at all. A guy who's given it his all for, for six years at K-State and been an all-Big 12 linebacker and just as always, unfortunately, had his body let him down a little bit. But, I mean, I, I think he would have been one of the best linebackers in the conference had he been able to stay healthy. Unfortunately, that that is just not the, the reality. So, uh, best wishes to him. Chris Kleiman, you could tell, was very emotional about it, really gushed about him and, and told stories about how many times he's just talked to him about life in his office and how much he is respected with the the coaching staff just within the walls of that building for being a guy that's been around there for the entire Chris Kleiman era and uh, and seen the rise of the program. So certainly our best wishes are, are with him. And it sounds like he's fully on board. I believe there was a quote that came out from somebody there, fully on board to, to make sure that the other linebackers are going to be ready to go this week. So uh, that will certainly help, but it is going to change some things. Austin Moore uh, will take on the the calls and checks that, that Daniel Green typically had before, so there will be a little bit more on the shoulders of the machine. But everybody, I think, now wants to talk about Avery Johnson, what this is going to look like, because I'm I'm with you. I'm anticipating it being Avery Johnson on Saturday. Chris Kleiman said he would he would be able to sling it around. He'll be playing as a full quarterback, not just 
in a second and long package to pick up chunk yardage on the ground, which is all they were letting him do on, on Saturday against Mizzou. We were making the case like they should have let him do a little bit more, especially with Will Howard limping at the end of the game. Now, now we get our wish. So we'll, we'll see what happens here. Um, what are you anticipating, Derek, out of uh, out of Avery Johnson, somebody who, important to note, was here for spring ball. So he's been around the offense for a little while. They rave about his, not just what he does in terms of on the field, but off the field preparation, just acumen, being able to pick things up. They say nothing but good things about all of that. But now will be a, a true test uh, against UCF, a team that will be hungry to make a statement in their first Big 12 game. Yeah, it'll be interesting. And I do foresee a team... Uh... He's going to play more than he did against Mizzou. I think that much is certainly um, not in doubt, especially since Chris Kleiman was so willing to to discuss an alternative play. And when asked what happens if Will Howard doesn't go, it, it was already mapped out. You know, we're going to have Avery Johnson start. Jake Ridley's going to be ready just in case. So just being that open and that prepared already for the alternative um, kind of opens your eyes as to that being a legitimate possibility or maybe even the likely one. In terms of what to expect from Avery on the field, and when, if that unfolds and comes to fruition, I would say probably look a lot like the SEMO thing, where you're going to see him, you know, be used with his arm and his legs. I think we already got a sneak peek of of what they wanted to do with him at quarterback, just in those, I think it was three drives in the opener against the Red Hawks. So, is he ready for it? Uh, as ready as anybody's going to be. I'm I'm not really worried about the. The moment being too big for him, knowing him just on a personal level, covering him as a recruit for two, three years, and and obviously his legs are rare enough to where he can pose problems for a defense just himself, even as an 18, 19-year-old kid. And the thing is, too, is like, you know, what's different between he and Will Howard is that teams don't know everything there is to know about Avery Johnson. But I'm pretty sure Gus Malzahn knows that Avery Johnson is flipping fast. And just sending the house at him can be pretty detrimental as a defense. So it could it could uh, slow up the blitz a little bit if you think about it that way. It's a, it's a great point, D.Y., because you bring the house at him in that bus, there's nobody on the back end to get Avery Johnson. He's going to outrun most of those defenders and make them miss. So you bring seven or eight, and he eludes it and escapes. That's really tough to defend when he gets out into the open field. And so a guy like that, when the offensive line has been struggling, could help out the offensive line. Obviously help out the running game with the explosive factor of them having to respect Avery keeping it and running it, but also just the the fact that you can't go all out with the pass rush on Avery or he could break out and bust a big one. So I certainly think that's, that's a big part of it as well. I'm excited to see what he can do with a, a bigger playbook. I think we were all eager and wanted him to be able to throw the football uh, against Missouri when we saw him on the field was disappointing that they didn't unleash him there and let him you know, chuck it around a little bit and give him more of a playbook. I think he's ready to handle it, and I think what will help him, he gets all the first-team snaps in all likelihood. Well, Jake Ribley will get some this week, but but a- but Will is or Avery is going to get most of the first-team reps in practice this week so he can get synced up with the guys. I would say a couple of things, especially a couple of things to watch for when it comes to a true freshman quarterback is – you know, you get a little bit of happy feet to, and you escape clean pocket sometimes. So we'll see if he's sometimes too eager to get outside and run it and not necessarily rely on his legs. And when he does that, does he keep his eyes downfield at the same time and still find guys? He did that once in a good way against SEMO. So we'll see what the consistency level is there. And for me, 
I'm probably a little bit different than a lot of people for the Missouri game. I was a little, I wanted to see a little bit more from Avery Johnson, but it wasn't necessarily even a running or throwing component that I thought that they were missing from Avery Johnson last Saturday against Missouri. It was the fact that they would just pull him off the field when he got him in close on third down. I'm still pretty convinced that had they used him after he, the, the delay of gameplay, right? Right before that, he gets them down to like the three or the four, wherever the ball was. I still feel like just line it up, run him again, and I feel like good things were going to happen there. Even if you just do it twice and you're going to be a little more gutsy with it and try and get that TDI, but, you know, whatever. Mizzou games in the past, it is what it is. looks like Avery Johnson is is going to be there and playing. I, the other thing I know, Cole, we talked about this last night a little bit on the, the Patreon pod, but better be an inspired effort out of your offensive line because they've been very disappointing so far this year. They have allowed a lot of pressure, and you just talked about it. If UCF is going to blitz, stunt, do things up front to mess with the offensive line because it seems like communication has been a huge issue up there so far this year, you better protect this dude. I, I mean, I know they feel pretty good about Jake Rubley too, but like I, we do not need to be sending two quarterbacks uh, down with an injury issue and turn into the TCU game last year where it got to Jake Rubley all of a sudden, and, and that did not work out very well when he had to go into the game. So I, you better rally around. The, that offensive line has to figure something out. I mean, it just puts, to me, more impetus and pressure on them because they, they're the reason that Will Howard had to be run more this year because they couldn't. the conventional running game has not worked. You had to get the quarterback involved more than they should have this year, and now here's Will Howard hurt before the end of September. So offensive line... Step the hell up this week. That's that's my that's my thought. No, yeah, I want to see him come out with a fire um, lit under him and rally around Avery Johnson. You got to step forward here for a true freshman at quarterback and do everything that you can to protect him. And you got to help your running back out and DJ Giddens, who's probably going to be without his teammate and Trayshawn Ward. So you don't have a lot of depth there. You got to open up some holes for DJ Giddens as well. So this offensive line needs to come out and have an inspired performance. I don't. Don't think, though, that UCF has not seen the film of Missouri running multiple twists and stunts and just rushing four at times and getting home because K-State didn't pass off the protection properly. That's going to be a big piece of this, too. Like, can they get some consistency up front? I, I think probably they might rotate a little bit less. Obviously, Christian Duffy is going to rotate in this game, but I would like to see them keep guys in the same position um, and keep Cooper Beebe, if they can, just at left guard in his natural position there for the entirety of this game and see if that helps. And if it doesn't, it's time to give some young guys a shot at some other positions as well up front. Totally agree. Totally agree. Um, it seems like that we are podcasting today with some pissed off focus, and that would make sense because Kobe Savage says that K-State is preparing this week with a pissed off focus, and uh, we are going to talk about that in just a moment. But first, you guys know the drill. If you are headed to the bill this Saturday, make sure to rock your home field apparel. I'm sure plenty of you guys have it by now, but if you don't, what are you doing? Get your home field apparel, K-State gear, all kinds of awesome stuff, retro logos, hoodies. Uh, they've got quarter zips, like whatever it is that you want. Obviously, T-shirts. It's all there at homefieldapparel.com. 3mon23 is the promo code if you want 15% off your first order. So if you are one of those who have not dove in yet to home field apparel, do it with the 3mon23 Promo code to get 15% off your first order. You can also check out 100-plus other teams that they have up there on the site. It is all awesome. Very comfortable. We all wear it all the time. So, homefieldapparel.com, and we are back in just a moment. Thanks for listening to KC Sports Network. Make sure you download our new app. Find it on the App Store or Google Play. Just search KC Sports Network. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. So I mentioned the quote from Kobe Savage, D.Y., that came at the, the press conference yesterday that you attended. And um, I do have to admit, I told you guys, I'm like, look, I, I see these things and it's like, uh, that, that's great. I mean, I hope that's true. I hope they come out with a really inspired effort because of this. But I always... When I see things like that, I'm like, well, where was, could we not have had pissed off focus last week? You know, could we not have had pissed off focus last week to, to go out and win the Missouri game? I, you know, don't love this concept of like, oh, learning from a loss, but that, that seems to be where we're at. So I just, what's the temperature gauge the temperature for me on, uh, what the team was like, what the players were like yesterday and in, in talking about where they're at right now this year. I would say that. They're, they're back down to even keel. I mean, the pissed off focus, I think, is just because you get pissed off anytime you lose a game. I mean, just be, you can be pissed off and still lose, too. So, I mean, that's not necessarily an item to, to I guess, maybe harp on, at least not in my opinion. I, I think that they're very frustrated that they lost a game that was in front of them, and they realize that. But I think they've also turned the page and are just letting you fuel them at this point, because if you don't let it fuel them, then what's the point, right? You have to take some kind of solace at this point. Yeah, I mean, I, I expect to see a, a pissed-off performance from the defense, the secondary, and the K-State offensive line, all these guys coming back off a loss. Now, I know, John, I think you're frustrated that maybe we didn't necessarily see that against Missouri. Um, I don't know, like maybe maybe they came in, it, it was a lot of busted assignments too, and just not executing properly. So it's hard to say like necessarily if it was a, 
a motivation factor. I mean, K State looked pretty inspired as they drove down the field in 11 plays on the very first drive of the game. They looked locked in, get a touchdown, go up seven nothing. Um, so I don't know if I would say necessarily they weren't, you know, fired up and ready to go against Missouri. I think you could very well argue that they were and things. They just they made too many mistakes at execution errors. Um, and sometimes being pissed off isn't enough. You know, we're playing with emotion isn't enough. You still got to execute at the end of the day. And and I think that was probably a bigger part of the problem. But yeah, I mean, the, you look at the offensive line, like going back to that, like it's an execution issue, but it's also to the point where I'm like, you know what, just man up and you hammer your guy in front of you, whoever is in front of you and maul them, do whatever it takes. And so that is a, a pissed off thing to me. Like when you look at line play, there's obviously a lot of execution involved too and, and tactical challenges, but I want to see K-State line up and maul some dudes up front. And so that's where I want to see him pissed off uh, this Saturday. Yeah, I don't think it was like a lack of intensity or a lack of energy, even if they were saying it's elevated this week. I, I think Missouri took advantage of an inexperienced secondary, and that's why they got 30 points on the board, just enough to win the game. And Kansas State played well in offense, to be quite honest. Like, I know we're harping on the offensive line, and they they need to be better, especially since they were supposed to be the focal point of the team entering the season. But like I've said before in other podcasts and even our shows, Kansas they outperformed 10 of the SEC opponents against that Missouri defense from last year. So, well, to be clear, to be clear, I'm I, I was not suggesting that like energy and was was a problem against Missouri, although I would also suggest to you that if uh, Mizzou looked like they wanted it a little bit more, um which makes sense, I think because of last year. Yes, I think the the primary issue was execution issues. I just roll my eyes a little bit sometimes at quotes where I'm just like, I mean, okay, like can't we just do that every week? But I I understand. I get it. It's a part of me being a little bit pouty here with all of this. No, I did not think it was like a flat performance or anything against Mizzou. But that was just a... I, I wish that that could have been the heightened... The even more heightened focus and intensity performance. But hopefully we'll get it against UCF because they're really going to need it. And that leads me into the, the third headline to me, which is the defense. You know, I mean, we spend a lot of time talking about the offense. I think that's natural to do. It's a little bit sexier we had high expectations on that side of the ball and the offensive line has been a huge focus of the first three weeks of the season so far but can they get the back end figured out and they may not have i mean we'll see we'll see what the deal is going to be with the quarterback situation at ucf uh if timmy mcclain who's a transfer from uh south florida he had 321 yards two touchdowns against villanova last week i don't know how much he's going to be able to like truly test uh, K-State secondary because his numbers uh, for the entire season in his one year that he really played at USF were not great. Um, but they, they're going to have to get some things shored up and figured out there. And this may be a game where the defense has to kind of carry things if there's going to be at least somewhat of an adjustment period to get Avery Johnson comfortable and, and rolling at quarterback, assuming that he is the one that will take most of the snaps. So I guess, Cole, it's like, is is this a game where the defense can go out and win you one if they if they need to? I mean, it's going to no doubt be a test. I mean, this is a UCF offense. And keep in mind, like we have to keep perspective here with some of the numbers that I throw out because we don't know a lot about them yet this season because of who they played. They played Kent State in the first game. Kent State's picked to finish dead last in the MAC out of 12 teams. So they beat them 56 to 6. They have 723 yards of offense in that game. No team in college football has had that many yards of offense in a game yet to date this season than UCF did. But again, it's a, a Kent State team that's bad. They played Villanova, Coastal Athletic Conference, FCS, picked to finish seventh in their league at the FCS level. Now, Villanova is receiving votes in the top 25, but for perspective, they're not ranked. 
SEMO was ranked 12th. So, you know, you look at K-State opponent FCS level better than obviously what they played in Villanova. So they've racked up some numbers there. Now, Boise, they win 18 to 16 in that game. And they they probably should have won it by more the more you look at it. They win on a walk-off field goal as time expired, but they had three turnovers inside the Boise 15-yard line in that game. They had 530 yards of offense on 65 plays, 8.2 yards per play. So they moved the football up and down against Boise. I still don't – I know Boise's picked to win the Mountain West. I just I think the Mountain West is down a little bit, so I don't take too much necessarily from that. Uh, but you look at this UCF offense. Like, the, the the thing that scares you a little bit, it's not so much the back end, although they have explosive dynamic receivers and Baker and Kobe Hudson, both transfers from Alabama and Auburn and the SEC, big play guys. And we'll get into this more in the offense-defensive preview, but what scares you more is – you're not with Daniel Green. You don't have Jake Clifton. You're starting a true freshman at middle linebacker in Austin Romaine, who we know we have a lot of high hopes for. But Gus Malzahn is notorious for attacking you from all different angles with his run game, motion, moving guys, motioning the wide receiver, stretching you on the perimeter. They make you defend the entirety of the field. And when you consider this, Gus Malzahn's 2013 Auburn team ranks fifth nationally with 6.1 yards per rush and second in the country, 321 yards rushing per game. His 2014 team ranked ninth nationally with 260 rushing yards per game, 12th at 5.6 yards per rush. When they won the national championship, when he was the offensive coordinator at Auburn, they ranked third nationally in yards per rush at sixth and fifth at 284 yards per game on the ground. And this year is no different. They're averaging three, 300 yards per game on the ground so far. That's number two in the country behind only Air Force. Last year, they rushed for over 200 yards in nine of their 14 games and over 304 games. They're going to come at you with the running game. They had a 50.5% success, 50, 50 and a half success rate on rushing plays last year. That would have been the best in the entire Big 12. Next closest was Texas at 49%. Um, now, you could say they, they didn't play the same level of competition because they weren't in this league, but that's going to be the test to me. Can this K-State run defense once again step up? They're giving 1.8 yards per carry through ga- three games, but they haven't faced an offensive system or style like this, and you've got a true freshman at middle linebacker. Does that impact things? How do they defend that? Because it's a lot of explosive plays, too, with UCF, and we'll get into that in the offense-defense preview. The only thing that I would say, too, there is Austin Romaine is probably a, st- a stylistic linebacker, to be quite honest, that is more suited to play the run than the pass. So that does help. I worry about him more in the passing game than I do worry about him in the running game um, because that's where he stands out. Also, in terms of the style, this is kind of like those Kendall Riles, Jeff Levy offenses that are really predicated on the running game. Kansas State does have plenty of players that have seen that, so they do understand. Now, Austin Remain technically hasn't, so that'll be a challenge. But again, he's more suited to play the run, so that is at least an optimistic point of view you can take in general though the more I think about the Missouri loss and get away from that the less I am concerned about the offense in general because I think that they did enough especially when you consider the Missouri defense and I know the Kansas State defense recovered don't get me wrong but giving up 30 points to a pretty lackluster offense is not very endearing and you don't fix the errors that were there you can improve upon the errors that were made but I think the years were a product of inexperience, especially in a secondary. And that doesn't get better in six days, seven days. And now you're adding inexperience to the middle of the defense. So in general, I am probably more skeptical of the defense for this week than I am the offense. 
That's a tough one. That's a tough one for me, which one I would be more skeptical on. Because again, I, I love Avery, and I, I think Avery is going to be a star, but I do wonder, like, what what's the... It's just so, so much of it unknown. Like, what's the ramp-up period here if you're throwing a, a true freshman in? I guess, like, I think about it this way, and this isn't fair to put on Avery at all. I know, you know, hey, here I am, the host, back to Avery. But J.J. Cole at Iowa State, right? They've had all sorts of problems. The quarterback, Hunter Deckers, was gone. Their offense is awful. And I don't, they haven't even been playing J.J. Cole, right? And he was drawing more rave reviews than Avery at the Elite 11 camp last year. So I, it just makes me wonder what it's going to look like when the freshman is is out there without anything to, to really hold back. Yeah, I, I think, I, I guess I probably, I know I gave you guys all those numbers. And I don't know if I even necessarily disagree with D.Y., but I, I do think the defense is going to have to probably win this game for you. That That's where my slight lean is. I think the defense has to step up. And where it really needs to happen, guys, is through three games, K-State's forced one turnover. They get no turnovers against Missouri. This is a K-State okay, defense. Okay. I actually I looked that up, Cole. I, I saw two. I saw a pick and a fumble recovery. D.Y., they overruled the fumble recovery, though, against Troy. They overturned the call. Uh, yep. So that... Unless they're counting, John, the uh, the strip sack of Brendan Mott at the end of the first half against Troy, did K-State recover that? I, I don't... I there was one of the last play of the game, too, right before the game. Oh, that's... Yeah, that's right. It was the Uso fumble recovery with 30 seconds left in the game. When Toby hit the quarterback blindside, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we can probably... Let's, probably we should just throw that out, right? But, I mean... Yeah. I, what I will say is... Go... To defend my point, and I understand what you're saying, that defense got away because you might be starting a true freshman to quarterback. You might be down your number two running back. Your offensive line hasn't played super well yet, but at the end of the day, to stop Gus Malzahn's offense, like you said, there are a lot of misdirection, tricky angles, yeah. doing all that. It requires communication, and we're going to be asking that out of a very inexperienced defense. Yeah, and, and my thought process, D.Y., is they're starting their backup quarterback in Timmy McLean, who threw seven interceptions to five touchdowns at right. USF at South Florida. Right. Can they get after him? Can they create some pressure? Can there be a strip sack? Can they, pat, they bat a ball up in the air? Can they pick him off? Can they force him into a couple turnovers? Because to me, one of the big things against Missouri, you don't turn over Brady Cook once. You don't turn over that Missouri offense. I kept waiting for them to get a turnover, some sort of key play. K-State's turned it over on offense and all three of their games thus far. And what is unique about this is K-State last year was top 10 in the country with 24 turnovers forced. They also ranked, according to the metrics, top 10 in luck. There is some luck factor with turnovers. We're not going to deny any of that. But in the Chris Kleiman era, discounting the COVID season, K-State's forced 57 turnovers coming into this season. That was second in the Big 12 behind only Baylor, which had 76. And just thus far this year, they haven't been able to force teams into those mistakes and so is this the game where that defense can get you on a short field for a couple of drives? Can they force a couple mistakes? And can special teams get you a score? I don't know. Like, that's the type of things I think they're going to need to kind of scrap one out against US UCF. I don't disagree. I will say Kansas State is top 15 in the country, not only in sacks, but in QB hurries in general. So the pass rush has not been a problem. Yeah, I mean, look, the more we talk about it, I'll be honest, the more I, I get concerned about the defense with, with Derek mentioning it like that. Because that is, Gus Malzahn is definitely going to, he's going to do a lot of motion, a lot of tricky things. And it, that would that is where it would be nice. D.Y., you made the point to me, like, hey, people get frustrated if, you know, Daniel Green's a little bit hobbled out there or whatever. But just wait until the communication breaks down when he's not out there. He's not going to be out there. So this, this will be a week where uh, communication will be paramount. But it'll be tough. We'll get a little bit more into... Uh, UCF coming up here in just a moment. But uh, before we venture on through the rest of the show, it is football season, everybody. 
It is football season. We are back with another week of football. You know what that means. DraftKings Sportsbook is keeping us in on the NFL action with great offers every single game day. New customers can bet $5 and get $200 instantly in bonus bets. Throw five down on any of this week's epic matchups to walk away an instant winner. And DraftKings isn't stopping there. All customers can take advantage of two new offers every game day this September. Football's more fun when you're in on the action, so download the app now and sign up with code KCSN. New customers can bet just $5 to get $200 instantly in bonus bets. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL with code KCSN. The crown is yours. Ready for it? Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, licensee partner, Golden Nugget, Lake Charles, Louisiana. 21 plus, age varies by jurisdiction. Please take a seat. If you are in Ontario, I am so sorry. I have to do this to you once again. Uh, it says it here in the notes. I have to tell you, it is Void in Ontario. So my condolences, thoughts, and prayers, Void in Ontario. See sportsbook.draftkings.com slash football terms for eligibility terms and responsible gaming resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. More three mock coming up next. Thanks for listening to KC Sports Network. Make sure you download our new app. Find it on the App Store or Google Play. Just search KC Sports Network. All right, we have been including these player interviews as uh, standalone pods here, but this week you're going to get it within the main show, and it's Cooper Beebe. Obviously a stud, a standout future NFL draft pick. He's going to be a day one or day two NFL draft pick and have a long career in the league right now. Being a guy that's showing incredible versatility, playing almost everywhere on the line for, for the Cavs, trying to help patchwork this offensive line through. Uh, Cole, I had a chance to catch up with him earlier this week. Welcome to this week's Player Spotlight, uh, joined by K-State All-American offensive lineman Cooper Beebe. Cooper, thanks so much for jumping on with me. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. So for those of you who might be hearing this weekly segment for the first time, I want to tell you about Riverbank Brewing and Council Grove, which is partnered with Wildcat NIL and 3Mall to bring a K-State football player on the show each week. Riverbank Brewing in a really neat location just off the Neosho River on Main Street. Amazing craft beers. They brew in-house with Kansas-grown barley and hops. I can speak from first-hand experience. They have some terrific craft beers, folks. Brewery is located just off the Neosho River and Riverwalk area in Council Grove. Has a really cool patio overlooking the river with several TVs outside. Featured beers on tap this week is the Hoppy Tears, an easy drinking IPA that's perfect for a fall Saturday, as well as the Golden Grove Cream Ale, a light, refreshing pilsner that pairs perfect with tailgate at the bill or to crack open after you get done mowing the lawn or out on the golf course. Brewbank Brewing is open Thursday through Saturday. They'll have the Cats game on on Saturday night for those of you that are in the area but not able to make it to Manhattan for the game. So get on over there, cheer on K-State, enjoy one of their many craft beers they have available if you're unable to make it to the K-State game against UCF. For those of you going to the game, uh, Riverbank's got you hooked up as well. You can pick up some beer to purchase on the go. Go grab some, take it with you to the Bill, to Bill Snyder Family Stadium this Saturday and you've got all afternoon to enjoy a few in the parking lot with the 7 p.m. kick. For more information on Riverbank Brewing, go to riverbankbrewing.com or go to facebook.com slash riverbankbrewing. Cooper, man, tough one on Saturday um, with the, the loss at Missouri. I know that one stung you guys. I was there. 
what what was what was your message to the team after the game and maybe coach Kleiman and the staff's message um the message was you know th- this game doesn't define us um you know we've been at this point um last season too um you know we probably did everything we could to lose that game and we still only lose by three points um so really the message is you know we can't we can't let Mizzou beat us twice we got to put this one um in the re- rear view mirror and get get ready for a good team coming up you brought up what I was going to bring up next, Hooper, because I, I know it's not ideal, but does having the experience of going through a difficult non-con loss like, like last year to a good two-lane team, following that up by winning the Big 12, maybe help you guys flush Saturday's game and know a Big 12 title was not impacted in any way by that result? Um, absolutely. You know, we, we have a standard here. Um, it doesn't matter, you know, win or loss. You know, we got a standard to uphold, so, you know, we come in. You know, we, we, we flush it right away and, and get ready for next week. We know Missouri had one of the most experienced defenses in college football. I think they were the second most returning production on the defensive side of the football coming in. They were a top 25 defense in most metrics last year. Uh, so we knew they had a lot of dudes on that defensive side of the football. You guys still score 27 points. That's the second most, ties for the second most that any team in the Power 5 scored against Missouri all of last year going back to 2022 season. But when you look at the film and look back on it, what, what was Missouri doing defensively that might have given you guys a little bit of trouble as well? Um, you know, I think they, they schemed us up pretty well, um, especially in the third downs. You know, I thought we we shot ourselves in the foot. We need to um, get more yardage on first down so we didn't set up those third and longs. But, you know, they did a good job scheming, you know, our protections in those third and longs. And, you know, they're sending, you know, seven – eight play man man on the outside you know they're getting a lot of pressure fast so i think that kind of threw a little wrench into us um you know but you know we need to make adjustments for next week i was gonna say it, it looked like cooper and again i didn't have the best vantage point from my seats but re-watching the game a little bit it looked like mizzou was kind of pinning their ears back and had you guys actually outnumbered on several snaps where they brought more guys and you could even block is that is that something you noticed on film study yeah, absolutely. You know, it, it almost felt like every every play, you know, they were sitting more more than we can block, and you know, obviously that, that gets tough. So, you know, but you know, we just got to find find ways around that, and, and you know, find ways to get them out. Like I said, you know, if you get more yardage on first, and you're not in those third and longs, you know, you put yourself in a better position where you know they're not sending heat the entire time. How do you assess the play of the offensive line through three games? Um, my biggest thing I'd say is, is just inconsistent. You know, there's, there's times where, you know, we're, we're going well, you know, the, the, the chemistry's there and then it almost feels like, you know, we kind of hit a wall. Um, so I would just say, you know, we, we, we need to find, you know, where we're consistent and, and find that groove. You know, I feel like we just haven't quite found that groove and, you know, hopefully having Duff back, um, this week should, should kind of help fix a lot of that stuff. So, but yeah, I would just say put play more consistent. Is there, is there something in particular that stood out when you're rewatching games on film that's been an area of focus just to get better at, or is it just consistency? Man, I just say, you know, miss, missed opportunities, not just for the OI, but just for the whole offense. You know, you you block a second longer here, or, you know, you you go, you give a little bit more effort here, and you spring, you know, the run that's a 12-yard gain, you, may, you finish a block, you know, you, it's a 40-yard gain, and just little stuff like that, I think, is kind of, What's been holding us back is just missed opportunities all the way around. You mentioned getting Christian Duffy back. Coach Kleiman said at the press conference on Tuesday they expect him to hopefully give you guys maybe 20, 30 snaps, ease him in, and then with the bye week maybe be a permanent full go at right tackle moving forward after that. 
But what have you seen from Duff just in practice so far as he he gets back into a groove and gets uh, maybe knocks the rust off? Uh, he's he's looked really good. Um, you know, I think one thing for him is you know just building that confidence. You know, this is the first time he's he's you know been taking you know actual live reps. So just building that confidence and just not knocking the rust off. And I think we've done a good job. You know, you can't can't like kind of baby him. You know, you got you got to let him build a confidence on himself. And I think he's done a great job, and, and he looks good for somebody you know that hasn't played football in a while. You talked about the the consistency, Cooper. You guys have rotated. A decent amount on both the interior and at tackle through the first three games. And I know this is a veteran group of guys, but even with a veteran group of guys, with a position group such as the offensive line, how important is continuity and guys playing the same spot game in and game out? Um, you know, it, it's it's extremely important. You know, wh- when you change things around like that, um, you know, it just flo- uh, throws off the flow of everything. You know, when especially for, for KT and Gillum who have, you know, different dudes next to them, you know, every other drive, um, it can definitely throw a wrench into things, but, you know, we, we really can't use that as an excuse of, you know, why we are playing, you know, we still got a job to do and it doesn't matter, um, where people are, you know, we, we still have a job to do and we still got to get it done. I, I asked you this when we had you on the show at big 12 media days in Dallas, but for folks who didn't hear your answer, how, how do you make it look so easy moving from guard to tackle? Um, you know, it's just a lot of, um, you know, repetition and practice. Um, you know, it's not an easy thing to do, especially, you, you know, from going from, you know, like for the first game, you know, going from left guard to left tackle, it's very similar because you got a similar stance and stuff like that. Obviously, you know, there's a difference, but, you know, the real trouble is when, when you move over to a different side of the ball, people don't realize, you know, how completely different, different that is. Um, but, you know, it's just, just repetition, um, you know, working you know, different sets, you know, it may not look the prettiest, but you know, I'm going to get the job done. Um, but yeah, you know, it's just repetition and practice and just, and just challenging myself just to know, you know, when I, when I go out there, you know, I make sure I know every position, you know, what they're supposed to be doing. So in a time of need, if they need me to do that, I will. And it's, it's not just knowing every position, right? Cooper, because I imagine you have to spend a decent amount of time prepping each week for the possibility of moving out to tackle and studying the opposition that you're going up against. Right. So take me kind of through how that process, your, your week by week goes, knowing there's a possibility you might have to kick out the tackle. Do you spend a decent amount of time both studying maybe the interior defenders you may go up against, but also studying the, you know, tendencies of those edge defenders you may be seeing in a particular game? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, one of the things, you know, that we do, um, that, you know, our, our GA actually does, um, for us, Vinny is, you know, he makes cutups for, you know, every, every person on their defensive line. So, you know, we can go in there, you know, and, I'm not just going to focus on the interior guys since, like you said, I, I know I'm going to play tackle, so I go through it all. You know, I figure out, you know, what is their favorite moves? You know, how, how do they play different blocks and different stuff like that? So I prepare, you know, even, you know, you look at even their backups just, just so you know what to expect when you go out there. So, yeah, I don't I, – I make sure I study everybody um, the entire week. That's impressive, Cooper, I got to tell you. I think we're all – just incredibly grateful for all that you do for K-State and this offensive line. We think you're one heck of a player, and, and so does all of college football and all the experts across the board. Hey, uh, Will obviously got a little beat up Saturday, and I'm not asking you to comment on his injury or status for Saturday. We know he's clearly the guy still at QB when healthy, but 
I'm just curious, what have you seen from Avery Johnson's presence in the huddle when he comes in the game or even at practice, someone that's just a true freshman and his, his command and presence in the huddle with you guys? You know, you know, I've been super um, impressed um, with Avery. He just kind of has that, you know, that kind of it factor that, you know, you know, he's going to come in. No, nothing's going to phase him. Um, you know, when he, when his time's called upon, you know, he, he's ready to roll and, you know, he knows this offense really well and he plays with the confidence that, you know, truly a lot of true freshmen, you know, they get out there and they, they're nervous and, and uh, kind of tense up, but, you know, not with him, you know, he, he's built, he's built for it. And if it's, you know, his call to go, we're all going to be surrounded where you have all the confidence in the world for it. Just a few more Cooper and we'll get you out of here. I, I also asked you this at big 12 media days, but a game hadn't been played, played yet at that time. So I'll ask you again, now that you're kind of through three weeks of action, Obviously, Deuce Vaughn was a different type of back. I mean, he was a special, special talent. And DJ and Treshawn are certainly special talents, too. But do the running styles of Treshawn and DJ compared to Deuce change the way you guys scheme things up front at all compared to when Deuce was here? Uh, you know, not really. Um, we kind of have the same uh, mindset for offense. We kind of do stuff the same. Um, but, you know, it is it is hard to replace a caliber um, guy like Deuce. But, you know, I, I think Treshawn and DJ have been doing a good job and yeah, we don't we don't change really a whole lot. You told us at Media Days, and you told numerous other media guys as well that part of your decision to return to K State was not only to win another Big Twelve title, become the the first K State team to win back to back league titles, but also be the first K State offensive lineman to be inducted into the Ring of Honor. Uh, we had your dad on the show this summer, and uh, he told us at that time you were making a decision whether or not to come back, and I think you already had an idea you were probably coming back. He learned about the Ring of Honor gold from Coach Riley in a discussion with him. Can you maybe walk us through those discussions and how all that went down? Yeah, so um, little did you know the other offense linemen know. I, I already made up my decision that I was coming back before the season ended. And I told Coach Coach Riley that probably before our last game or maybe before the Big 12 championship game. Um, but yeah, I, I told him, I was like, hey – um, and then we just chit chat and I was like, Hey, I'm coming back. You know, I'm going to try to get these other guys to come back. Um, and then, you know, we're sitting in his office and you were just kind of looking out and I asked him, I was like, what does it take to get on the ring of honor? And, and you know, he kind of like shrugged, like he didn't think, you know, I, I'd ask something like that. Um, and then we kind of discussed, he's like, you know, people usually look for, you know, consensus all American and, and different stuff like that. And I told him, I said, that's what I'm going for this season. That's why I'm coming back. Um, you know, and I think it, it kind of surprised him, but, it, you know, it kind of – I think it was happy for him to hear just, you know, my goals and, you know, my aspirations for myself, especially as no line coach, to have somebody, you know, come back. You know, when I had the chance to play in the NFL, just just put my name in K-State history. And I, I should have also said you also noted that you wanted to help mentor Camden, your brother, who's a true freshman on this K-State team, which is quite the, the big brother. I'm sure made your parents incredibly proud as well. But I'm curious, Cooper, just how hard of a decision is that? I mean, you're passing up potentially millions of dollars, right? A, a guy your age, I'm sure that was had to be somewhat challenging, right? Or way on your mind? Um, it definitely did. Um, but, you know, in my mind, you know, money's not everything. That's why I became a teacher. You know, I wanted to become a teacher, you know, to help help kids. And I realized, you know, money money's not everything. Um, you know, if I had a chance to you know, submit myself in, in K-State history and be able to show, you know, my kids when I come back to games, you know, if my name's on that stadium, I think that would mean more 
and all the all the money that I can ever ask for just to have you know that moment with my kids one day so I I, I would just say you know money's not everything um, and you know I wanted to come back you know especially just because you know we have a special group of dudes special team and I wanted to be a part of it for one, one more year. That's one heck of an answer, Cooper. Really respect the heck out of that. Hey, for our folks that don't know that are listening, uh, what do you want to teach when you, we know you're going to play professionally, but when you're done with that, what do you want to teach? Is it um, social studies? Yeah, I want to teach social studies um, and coach football at some high school um, somewhere. Well, I think you'd be a pretty darn good teacher. Hey, we'll get you out of here on one last question, Cooper. What do you make of what you've seen or stands out about this UCF defense as you head into Saturday's matchup? Um, I think one of the things, I mean, they got a they got a pretty dominant front um, on a defense line. You know, they, they bring back a lot of experience, a lot of dudes that played, and you know, I'm excited for the challenge. Um, you know, each each week, especially as as we go, it gets it's tougher and tougher. And you know, I'm I'm ready to you know show what what this O line's made of, and, and you know, we're gonna get after it this week. I was going to say, I actually should have followed it up with one more. Kobe Savage said yesterday uh, or Tuesday at the press conference that. A lot of you guys were pissed off after the Missouri game, uh, to quote him. Is that something that you've sensed from the guys around the team and kind of rallying around that loss and, you know, coming out with a pissed off attitude on Saturday? Absolutely. You know, we, we knew that team, you know, at the end of the day, wasn't better than us, but, you know, they're better than us that day. And, and you know, that's all that matters. But, you know, a lot of us were super frustrated and, and you know, we're, we're frustrated and we're going into this week, you know, we're pissed off and, you know, we're here to make a statement, um, you know, a lot of people are already doubting us. You know, you drop 15 spots or whatever in the AP poll, and you know it's definitely a, a chip on our shoulders. And a lot of dudes are pissed off, and they're they're ready to show the world what this team can do. Well, I think we're all eager to be back in Bill Snyder Family Stadium to watch you guys at home on Saturday and get off Big 12 play to a one and zero start, Cooper. So, hey, we appreciate you jumping on with us. Best of luck Saturday, and thanks again to Riverbank Brewing for supporting this segment and supporting K-State student-athletes. Get on out to Riverbank Brewing in Council Grove and support a fantastic group of owners who are supporting Kansas State. Thanks, Cooper. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, we appreciate Cooper Beebe's time uh, here on the show and everything he has done for K-State football and the fact that he is back because think about some of the offensive line issues so far, like where this where this thing would be without Cooper Beebe this year. So I appreciate him taking time to join us. We've already been pretty far down the rabbit hole, I feel like, on UCF. But if you have gotten this far and are not aware, John Rice Plumley, the starting quarterback for UCF, uh, SEC transfer, very athletic, has been very successful with UCF. He is not likely to play uh, out for a couple of weeks with an injury that he suffered, I believe, in week two uh, for UCF. They're rolling with the backup quarterback, meager numbers at USF as a as a transfer, but he is an experienced quarterback that will be playing today and well discussed already, but Cole uh Auburn is going or Auburn, look at me. UCF with Gus Malzahn, they're they're going to try and, and trick you, get your eyes moving, lots of motion and find creative ways to run the football. Yeah, and you won't be surprised if they run a trick player too as well. I mean that's the thing. They're gonna stretch your defense and make you move all over. They're gonna test your eyes and that is a, a tricky component as we already discussed for this secondary and this defensive unit that had some communication errors in the game against Missouri. And they're going to look at that film, Gus Valzon, and he's going to figure out a way to best attack that. So it's certainly going to be a test. Look, this is the best offense that K-State will have played to date, obviously. It's better than what Missouri did. And when you look at them, you know, you talk about Luther Burden at Missouri and how dynamic he is. I mean, they got some dynamic guys at wide receiver as well. Javon Baker, he's a transfer from Alabama. 
And then Kobe Hudson, a transfer at wide receiver from Auburn. And it wasn't like he transferred and didn't perform. When he was at Auburn as a sophomore, Kobe Hudson had 580 yards receiving on 44 catches. They were both four-star receivers. They were both in the the on-three consensus, top 250. Kobe Hudson was a near top 100 player. They got both of those guys to transfer in. Another receiver, Trent Whittemore, is a transfer from Florida for them as well. So they have went after a lot of SEC Power 5 transfers. And I think they've done this, Gus Malzahn, really bracing for this year, the inaugural season of the Big 12 um, in doing so. Because if you look at it, they brought in 15 transfers this year, eight of them from the Power 5. And last year, they brought in 14 transfers with 11 of them from the Power 5. So nearly 30 transfers with nearly 20 from the Power 5 level just over the last 12 months or so, kind of gearing up for this season. And and so they geared up and they got some weapons that they throw at you. Johnny Richardson, RJ Harvey at the running back position. Both of those guys throughout the entirety of their career have ran for over six and a half yards per carry um, in their entire career. And they both have over a thousand yards in their career as well. So they're, they have two really good running backs. They're both averaging over 70 yards per game on the ground. And I mentioned earlier, Javon Baker, transfer from Bama at wide receiver, over 1,100 yards receiving in his career, 14 yards a catch. And, and Kobe Hudson has 1,600 receiving yards in his career, 15.4 yards per catch, 11 touchdowns. So they have weapons to throw at you. They did lose some key guys on that offensive line, but Gus Malzahn's system, they can bounce back from that. They brought in some transfers up front offensive line-wise, and I mentioned earlier their success rate on rushing plays. They also had a 47.6% offensive success rate last season. That also would have been highest in all of the Big 12. So this is a talented offense. They've rushed for over 250 yards or more in every game thus far this season, albeit against weaker opponents. They lead the country with 618 yards per game thus far this year. They're number three in the country in yards per play at 8.5 in two games versus FPS opponents. And in an advanced analytics stat, they led the new Big 12 with 3.34 yards per carry on line yards, which is attributed to success by the offensive line at the first level of defense. So 3.34 yards really before contact, um, according to that analytics or minimal contact. So good offense and it's top 20 in the country in returning production. This is a UCF team overall that's top 25 in returning defensive and offensive production, according to Bill Connolly of ESPN. Yeah, I know that was a a part of the conversation that we were having uh, was was about the defense, right? You feel like the UCF defense is a bit underrated, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, and, and last year you look at the numbers and they they weren't overly impressive. They have three they have three guys back that were first team All American Athletic Conference last year on the defensive side of the football. Brian Freemouth's F plus rankings has them ranked as the number thirty six defense in the country currently. For perspective, Missouri's defense currently ranks number 22. So it's a step behind what Missouri's defense is, according to those analytics. But it's a defense that finished 65th in the F-plus last season. So how big of a jump have they made, and how big of a jump is it just because of the level of competition that they've played? Uh, You look at them, they were 62nd in points per drive allowed last year in the country at 2.19. They were 119th nationally out of 131 FBS teams with a 4.2% sack rate. They were 75th in tackles for loss per game, so they didn't force a ton of negative plays. They were 97th in yards per play allowed at 5.8. They were 106th in yards per rush allowed at 4.8, and they were 55th in pass efficiency defense. So that that was kind of their strength, six yards per pass allowed. That ranked 30, 31st as well. 
they have some talented guys. The metrics seem to like them perhaps more than than what I saw on the field last year, but they did bring in some talented transfers. They brought in a cornerback from Middle Tennessee State who tied for the lead in the country last year with seven interceptions and had 12 pass breakups, I, I think, to Corey and Anderson. So uh, they have some guys that they brought in to help this defense. I don't really like Phil Steele, but I'll tell you guys, John, you know this because I, I you were reading Phil Steele's stuff on the way home from Big 12 Media Days to me. He ranks their secondary and their defensive line fifth best in the Big 12 and the new 14-team league. Uh, they returned seven of their eight top defensive linemen, and two of those guys were first-team All-AAC last year. So, and a, and a talented linebacker in Jason Johnson, first-team guy, who's 378 career tackles, third most among all active players in college football. Yeah, and I know if you look, I was bringing up the, the talent composite here, the 24-7 talent composite. It is only showing... UCF rolling in at eighth here in the Big 12. I know they have recruited very well recently. Maybe Derek can speak a little bit more to this, but I UCF recruits basically at a Big 12 level right now was the point that I was going to make. Like they, they, and not only that, you're talking about transfers that they're bringing in too. Miles on with his SEC connections and then being down in, in Florida really helps out too. But I just want to kind of hammer home the point that we made the other day when we were looking ahead to them. They're legit. Like this is, you, you should not be thinking of this as some, lower level team like I, I thought UCF could come in right away and compete in the Big 12 I thought they would be by far and away the most competitive of any of the four newcomers this year and I, I definitely stand by that here at, at this point like they they have dudes and uh, th this is not somebody you should be overlooking and thinking K-State will have a decided talent advantage UCF yeah no oh, go ahead, BYU, UCF or BYU BYU just beat Arkansas in the road so. Yeah, they brought in a uh, UCF actually has a true freshman playing right now, John Walker, who was a top 100 recruit in the country that they just landed in this last recruiting class. They brought in a lot of transfers that were high pedigree profile, top 250-esque, four-star, five-star type recruits that they got on this team. So they have talent. And in fact, I think this 2024 class they currently have is a top 25 class. So they continue to elevate their profile, especially with the Big 12 attached to their name. One thing, John, I did forget to mention about their offense. Uh, we talked about explosives and how key that is going to be, and that's how Missouri beat K-State. Seven plays of over 20 yards, six via through the pass against Kansas State. So UCF's going to test you with explosives, man. Through three games, they have 23 plays over 20 yards, 15 passing plays that have gone over 20 yards, and a lot of folks will categorize rushes of 10 yards or more as an explosive. They have 28 rushes so far this year that have gained at least 10 yards. Now, John Rice Plumley accounts for a significant chunk of those. McLean can still run the football. He's not as dynamic as Plumley, but that shows that they're going to get chunk plays on the ground for perspective. It's a K-State defense that's allowed five rushes of 10 yards or more so far in the season. Yeah, really, it's felt like there, there's been about one. Yeah, they'll give it up like one a game ish so far where they they miss a run fit and it, it pops but that's been about it k-state's run d has been very very good so far this year uh on the topic of k-state's defense we turn to our quick hitters uh over under one and a half turnovers forced by the k-state defense on saturday cole you were speaking to the turnovers earlier i had already researched that number two given up or two forced Rather, so far this year by k-state feels like they will probably need some on saturday are you going over under one and a half I'm going over because I think in order to win, I think K-State needs a multiple turnover force type game. It gives K-State's offense a short field, and uh, I think they're due. 
I just, I think they're due to get some turnovers, force some mistakes. It'll be tricky with Gus Malzahn's offense, but I think this is the time. I'll take that over. Over. They're due. Yeah, they're due. That's all I got. I mean, I, I'm kind of just, this is like more heart than head. I feel like they, like Cole said, I feel like they will need more than one and a half to hit the two. Uh, to, I, to I will say Kansas State might be over one and a half, too, if you're starting a true freshman court. Well, and there's, there's a chance of rain. Unfortunately, we'll see what the weather's like, but that obviously could have an impact, too. We'll see. Hopefully it's clear. Yeah, I mean, that all, all of that, right? Like, if you're going to turn the ball over more on offense, defense is probably going to have to turn the ball over, too, to step up. So, uh, which unit will we feel better about in December? Uh, the K-State offensive line or the K-State secondary, D-Y? Offensive line, just cohesion and chemistry. That, that typically is the unit that grows the most throughout a season, regardless of the circumstances. It's a... That is a great question, John. I'm going to say the offensive line as well because we've seen it before with them and and them getting things together and the cohesion factor that they did last year. So I think that they'll step forward as the season progresses throughout Big 12 play. But I also trust Chris Kleiman and Joe Klanderman, and I think this secondary is going to be just fine. I'll just give an edge to the O-line. See, that that's, that's why I bring it up because I feel like both of those are places where yep. we came into the year saying they always find a way. They always find a way to make that secondary work. Uh, infuse the transfers and have you feeling really good about it. And we know that they have the talent, particularly at corner. Um, and then Kobe Savage, too, at safety. Like, they've got a lot of talent to work with there. So, yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know. I'm almost, you know what? To be different, I'll say secondary. I'm going to say yeah. secondary. You gave me the whole season, though. So, if you give me the whole season, I'll say offensive line. If you say three weeks, I would say secondary. Okay, so you think it's going to take some time for the offensive line? Uh, that well, that's just a unit that every offensive line gets better with every game because of just how that works. Um, you get climbing and Klanerman this week, the bye week, the Oklahoma State practice week, and I think you can start to mend some of what is ailing that unit in a much quicker way. All right, more frustrating uh, K State non con loss, Missouri last week, or the last time K-State played Gus Malzahn, which was the 2014 Auburn game. That was Thursday, right, on ESPN, under the bright lights, lost 20-14. to Tyler Lockett dropped a touchdown pass in the end zone that turned into an interception, one of the rare, rare, rare mistakes by him, and if not for that, K-State would have won that game. So, uh, more frustrating, Cole, Auburn in 2014 or last week? How timely. You must have heard me bring this up to Curry Sexton on the pod this week. Do you guys hear that? Sure did. D.Y., did you hear that? You, oh, you don't listen to when I do my shows with uh, any... All right. Well, thank you. Uh, thanks for the support, guys. Uh, so we did the show with Curry Sexton this week as well, former K-State wide receiver that we do weekly uh, and partner Wildcat NIL, and we broke down the Missouri game. And I brought up to him just the Auburn game, comparing it to Missouri, not necessarily in terms of caliber of opponent, but a heartbreaking loss you felt like you should have won in the non-con and then bouncing back for Big 12 play and being in contention for a Big 12 title like that 2014 team was. I can tell you, John, that after the Auburn game in 2014, I stayed up until 4 a.m. charting every single play, re-watching the game on the DVR, and I could not sleep that night because that one really, really sucked. It was an electric atmosphere, and you completely outplayed an Auburn team that was ranked fifth in the country. And it was on Thursday night, and you thought you were going to be on all the highlights if you win the game. And you kick, you shot yourselves in the foot. You missed three field goals, all of which are within distance. I think it was Cantelli, and he had been a good kicker. And Tyler Lockett, as Curry Sexton said, might have been the only pass the dude's ever dropped 
in the red zone in his career and it bounces up right to Auburn for an interception when it should have been a touchdown. So it is Auburn for me because of the circumstances, because they were actually a real football program unlike Mizzou. Well, it, it, I will make this point on caliber of opponent. Auburn finished eight and five that year. So yeah. it was not, you know, I think they're pretty similar in terms of caliber of opponent, but the fact that it was a home game, the fact that you had all the hype around it, and it, it was, I mean, post Snyder 1.0, that's, that's up there in terms of best atmospheres. I've seen it. Bill Snyder family stadium. So I think it probably still goes down there. The reason I, I do think it's close in a discussion is just because like, we don't really have beef or bad blood with Auburn fans. Like you got to hear it a little bit from, from Tiger fans in Mizzou. Uh, so it is close, but I, I would I would submit Auburn with that as well. And that was also, remember, right after Auburn had played in the national championship game the year before. So it was not only that they were a top five team, they had just come out of playing in the national title game. So that, that there was a lot of juice behind Auburn at that point. What I would say is what a team ends up being doesn't have to take away from a certain accomplishment either because you talked about Auburn falling 8-5. and five. I mean, Oklahoma completely fell apart last year, but that win in Norman last year, that's going to be something that I remember because that's a different Oklahoma team that Kansas State played than everybody else did. And Adrian Martinez played the game of his life. I think that's fair, D.Y., because you think about a team, they come in fired up, they haven't lost a game, that fan base is fired up. It's different when they're later in the year and they're 6-2 and two or 6-3 and three and they're not as much emotion, not as much to play for when there's everything to play for when they're undefeated. John, or uh, D.Y., what were you uh, doing on that Thursday night in uh, 2014? Did you watch that K-State-Auburn game? <laughs> I'm trying to think. I had just got my first job, so I was in Kansas City. So I don't, I can't recall it, but I probably did. You didn't make the track two hours west just to hang out with us in Manhattan? No, I, I did. I made, no, 14, that was a year before I was in Kansas City. So I was still in Ohio, I think. Okay, no DUI. No DUI. By the way, Cole, I at least promote your podcast. So I might not listen, but I make sure others do. Hey, the brand name is Three Mall on that podcast. It's all part of the team here, guys. I just thought I'd have some fun with you. Well, I I mean, I always listen. I, shout out to Curry, man. I love Curry. Um, used to have him on the, the old radio. Hey, yeah, no offense. <laughs> uh, life on the line. I'm going to ask you guys to put your life on the line again. I made you do it last week. Your life is on the line. You got to win a football game tomorrow. Do you take the Iowa State offense or the Oklahoma State offense? Life on the line. Iowa State offense or the Oklahoma State offense? <laughs> Real Sophie's choice, boys. Real Sophie's choice. Uh, uh, I'll, I'll go D.Y. I'll take the... Uh... Oh, my God. <laughs> I think I'm going to die. That's what I actually yes, one, one of them scored seven against Ohio last week. One of them scored seven against South Alabama last week. Uh, does it matter? If my life's on the line, are those my options? I don't you're, think it matters. You're dead. I mean, you're absolutely dead. I mean, we're both, we're all dying if we have to rule out either. Look, I'll give a, an answer, and I got to really reach for justification here, but I will take Iowa State, and I know that oh. sounds out of my mind. But they at least know who their quarterback is, and they have the better defense. So if I do screw up, they can probably save me. Uh, both teams were scoreless into the fourth quarter against South Alabama and Ohio, although my Bobcats, it was a lock of the week. So we'll get there in a minute. Um, I guess I would lean toward uh, Iowa State. God, uh, God help us all. And they're at home if we're talking about that games. Because uh, Iowa State scored what? What did they get on Iowa? Didn't they at least get like 
double digits. That game hit the uh, hardcore, I think, right? Was it like 13? Uh, was it 20 to 13? I was thinking. 17? Hang on, I'm on it. Uh, 20, 20, 20 to 13. 20 to 13. Yeah. What do you think OSU and their three quarterback system gets out of Iowa? So, I don't know. I You know what? I was kind of here. Here was my reasoning. First of all, I'm going to kind of throw DUIs out because you don't get the defense. You have to take the offense. You're, you're getting. Yeah, but, but the, I get somebody's defense. Give me Iowa State's defense over the. Well, yeah, State. that's not a part of the question. I'm not giving you Iowa State's defense. OK, I'll take the team that knows who their quarterback is. They have one bad quarterback instead of three bad quarterbacks. You get you get <laughs> USC's defense. You get USC's defense. Uh, um, I was going to say Oklahoma State just because, like, I don't know. I guess I trust Mike Gundy with offense more than I do Matt Campbell. But I'm also, if I'm going to tell you you can't have your defense, I'm going to say you can't have the head coach. You're just getting the offense in a vacuum. So, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I guess I go Iowa State. I don't. One, one of the Oklahoma State, Rangel, seems to be hurt. So maybe they're on the, they will only play two now, and that makes things a little bit better for Oklahoma State. I don't know. You got you to really stretch there. Who do, you, who do you like more to fight with fans, John? Do you like uh, Mike Gundy or uh, Matt Campbell? Well, Mike Gundy's pretty jacked. Like, that dude's in good shape. Um, but, uh... Yeah, but Matt Campbell has the anger issues. <laughs> he does. <laughs> does Mike Gundy not have anger issues? With- I don't know. He, he, I mean, he did go on a rant after a game one time that became very popular. Did he, did he going, it's just one rant? One time? Did anyone ask Campbell at uh, at his press conference this week about the incident with the fan? Did that? Yeah, he, said he, he said he wasn't going to address it, and he has to handle those situations better. Okay, because the only thing I saw was the deep fake. The deep fake, so, yeah. Uh, yeah. Which oh, I'm getting sick and tired of deep fakes. I don't. We we, we we you know what we need to do when Iowa State comes to Manhattan? We gotta get the whole fan base to start chanting "Hot Seat." Just chant it. The whole stadium chant "Hot Seat." That's actually a really good idea. That's that's going to be my... I'm going to do a skit that week because I was trying to think of what the new bridge segment is. We're going to do a hot seat skit, um, you know, and get the fan base engaged and just set set Campbell off. I mean, we might be in danger in the stadium with his anger management issues, but... Uh, and Strength in numbers, though. Strength. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Bring it on, Maddie. That's <laughs> actually cool. That's a... That's some good stuff right there, man. You've been saying a lot of nice things to me lately about, you know, said I made great points, you know, now this. I mean, I'm feeling pretty proud of myself. also admitted that he doesn't watch your shows. I didn't admit that at all. I said I watch him every week. Even though he's lying, I know he can see him. Yeah, it was a terrible lie. (laughs) I don't know what you're talking about. Um, Okay, well, on on this note, we finished with this. You know, we're already down this far. Brady Cook, Missouri quarterback, it has been shown. He missed practice earlier this week. Uh, there was a report out there from Pete Thamel. Did Brady Cook really miss practice this week because of the injury he suffered last week, or was it because he was taking the requisite trip to Disneyland for uh, winning the Super Bowl? <laughs> I mean, I think it was really because of the injury. Did you want me to feed into your joke? I will, but... I you know. Yeah, I would prefer that you lean into the joke, Derek. That's- I don't. It's it's not a joke, DUI. I, I had boots on the ground reporting. I uh, had some family in Orlando this last week, and they did indeed spot Brady Cook riding in a stuff. That too, sent him in on that. And but then they happened to look up and they saw Eli Drinkowitz and Brady Cook on a, a float going through a parade in Disney World, holding up a trophy, and they had a banner on it that said 
we beat Kansas State, Kansas State champs. Uh, so they were selling T-shirts down. I, there. Say, I, 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 just, I imagine they were wearing the T-shirts. So oh, yeah, well, I, I, I like that every time Cole says drink what's his name, he adds like a syllable. A drink a uh, wits. I don't know why <laughs> he doesn't deserve any respect to have his name called properly. I, I mean, he did just beat us. I'm, I, I will. You, you know what? I will. I will stick up for him a little bit there and say that. I mean, touche. The guy won, so I will say his name correctly at least. Uh, yeah, better than Dorkwitz, I suppose. We're we're giving him a, a little more respect there. Uh, lead pipe lock of the week last week. I, speaking of patting myself on the back, will give myself a huge pat on the back for saying wrong team favored in the uh, Fresno Arizona State game, and Fresno won twenty nine to nothing. Shut out Arizona State. Uh, Cole at his preseason prediction of Ohio beating Iowa State come through. So he also gets to he gets to one and two. I'm two and one. Derek is one and two though. Dy missed. I don't know what your pick was. Dy. <laughs> <laughs> after dog and troy all off season i took them and they proved me almost correctly basically correctly again okay well sorry sorry that sorry for that dy uh you guys are both one and two i'm two and one so listen to me this week i'm taking i this line almost seems weird to me like pit seven and a half point dog like I, I mean i'm taking north carolina all day minus seven and a half at pit like pit is so bad I mean, they scored six points against West Virginia. They Cincinnati really controlled them, and that game was at Pitt. They, they scored a little bit late to make it look closer, but since he completely controlled that game, West Virginia with a backup quarterback who like they had like sixty yards passing, and they still just completely dominated that game. North Carolina has been pretty pushed this year by South Carolina, App State, Minnesota. Like they played some good competition yet. Drake May, they're just going to roll all over them. I, I like North Carolina by like three touchdowns in that. game. Cool. Oh, you want me to go? Uh, all right, I'll. Uh, I'm going to take Alabama minus seven against Ole Miss in Tuscaloosa. You know, the, it looked like a mess last week. Saban trying to prove who's playing quarterback there, Cole. Uh, Jalen Mel oh, Jalen Milrow is back in at quarterback, which leads that I. I don't know if Nick Saban was trying to prove a point by you know not putting him in the game against USF and what a mess that game was and the Lightning, but I think that was a wake up call. Uh, I think a lot of people thought they would destroy USF after coming off a loss, and they didn't. But the storms and everything, benching the quarterback, I think they they bounce back coming home. This is the type of spot I like Alabama in to win by multiple scores. So I'll take them over Ole Miss. Don't forget, Ole Miss was losing by ten in the second half, or you know, uh, against a Tulane team down Michael Pratt at quarterback. So I don't I don't buy into this Ole Miss team. I love three bets, so I'll, but I'll. So I'm torn on which three to use, but judging from what's happened throughout this entire season, the one I give you is probably a loser, and the other two will probably be winners. But the one that I will pick is UConn plus 21 and a half. They are hosting Duke. Duke's been, yeah, they're still Duke. Um, and they got to go all the way up to UConn. Tricky road game, I think. You know, UConn hasn't been great. So they just had to oh, it's a hornet's nest, man. It's a hornet's nest. You do not just yeah. walk in doors and walk out with a victory. I mean, they can, I think they can keep it within three scores. Uh, so I'll go UConn there. Plus Duke, I mean, one, that is a weird road trip. And two, Duke, looking ahead next week to Notre Dame, I think, because Duke could be undefeated when they play Notre Dame next week. Man, you guys are really picking some high watchable games here, you know. <laughs> Well, why does that matter? I've you, I picked a group of five team, I think, every week at this point. But uh, So I got UConn plus 21 and a half. I will say the two other ones I liked, I think Mizzou's playing Memphis and St. Louis. I think 
at the worst, it's going to be a slow start, even if they do recover and win. So Memphis first half plus three and a half, keep it within a field goal. I like that. And Florida State minus two against Clemson. Um, I think they're a lot better than I thought I considered Florida State Clemson because, yeah, I just think Clemson. I think Clemson's cooked. I don't think they're very good. Uh, is that game in St. Louis, Cole? Is that the? Is it still the same TWA dome or whatever that like from? Yeah, yeah. I thought that it, thing was it, condemned. To be honest, yeah. I uh, yeah. Is the same place or not? Or if they had knocked that down? If not, like I'm just saying, airstrike theory applies even more there. Like I mentioned the other day, like if it is the same building from the game that we do not speak of. Yeah, I think it's the same building. Okay. Yep. Yeah, I uh, I think it's still standing. So it wouldn't take an airstrike to knock that thing over. By the way, <laughs> so you just got to push on it a little hard. Yeah, I don't I don't condone any sort of airstrike, guys. Just uh, I I wish the best for Memphis in this game, and uh, you know, wish them the best the of way. luck. By the way, an interesting money line underdog money line will be Appalachian State. They are at Wyoming. I think Wyoming's kind of starting to get taxed. You know, they had Tech, they had Texas. I think can't really get up for Appalachian State the same way you get up for Texas and Texas Tech. I wouldn't mind taking that. Well, what about uh, K State UCF? K State UCF, where yeah. you on K State UCF? Cole seems confident. I thought about that, guys. I thought about it. Uh, I'm taking K. I'm taking K State to win this game, guys. Uh, now I'm. I'm being positive here. I, I, you know, the metrics and everything still like K State. Their faith, they have their backup quarterback going in this game too. We expect Avery Johnson to be the starter in this game. There might be some mistakes, but I think his dynamic playmaking ability and I think a bounce back effort from this K State defense, coupled with a couple turnovers forced, that I expect. I, I think K State wins this game. Um, I'm going to take the Wildcats 27 to 24. I think it's going to be very close. Um, I don't know. That's going to be a tight game. Kurtz? Oh, okay. All right. Well, I'm uh, this this feels like a setup to Derek picking K-State to lose if he's making us go first here. I Look, man, I don't feel great about it. I'm just going to say K-State 24-23 so people don't come after me. I don't, you know. I don't, can I find a way? Well, I'm going to change my, I'm changing mine to 27 to 20. I'm going to show a little bit more faith. I think K-State holds him to 20. All right. Is is Carson Kaufman coming through with a, a rushing touchdown with 24 seconds left in this one? No, that... no, Carson was on the sideline of the Missouri game in Columbia along with Josh Freeman. And, uh, yeah, saw them both. I only saw Carson in the stands. I'm not sure that he was. was he uh, at halftime, at halftime, I saw him down on the sideline. But, yeah. yeah. I'm really torn just because I think UCF can score some points in this game just based off everything that we know. And Kent State's also playing the back of quarterback that could be prone to mistakes as well. Really set up UCF in short fields just as much as UCF could um, do that to Kansas State and get them a short field. But because both teams have a back of quarterback, I will take Kansas State just because they are the home team. And that usually is worth a couple points here that I think is going to be pretty valuable. So I'll say 28-27. But it would not shock me if UCF won this game because I think – that they may be able to put up enough points that's hard for Kansas State to reach. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, hopefully we're in a good mood next time we talk to you. It's been a it's been a week. It's been a week, folks. But uh get your 360 vodka, your Ben Holiday bottled and bond bourbon, and your home field apparel. And you'll be ready to roll and bust out that phone unless you're in Ontario and get on DraftKings. Not if 
listen, I said it not if you're in Ontario, okay, but everywhere else. Uh, get that phone out, get on DraftKings, support everyone who's supporting us. Thanks to Nick Springer uh, behind the scenes, Coleman Beck for um, being my personal therapist and trying to keep me on the, the straight and narrow here, and uh, Derek Young for dealing with how annoying I have been over the last four days. Take care. We'll talk to you soon, and uh, go Cats. Thank you for listening to KC Sports Network. We appreciate your support. Don't forget to hit that follow button and leave us a review if you like what you heard. You can find all six of our channels covering the Chiefs, Royals, Sporting KC, and the KC Current, plus KU, K-State, or Mizzou by searching KCSN wherever you listen to podcasts. We're also on YouTube. Entertain. Educate. Inform. KC Sports Network. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com